no matter what, let's say there there was no climate change to deal with. Let's say the political system was just the way everyone wanted it. It was ideal. We still have illness. We still have death. We still have uncertainty in some form because ultimately we can't prevent the fact that this life we're living is very temporary. And I don't think it matters how old we are at some point when our end has arrived, we're going to feel the same age most likely. We're going to feel like I'm just the age I am. I'm just me. And here I am being faced with the end of everything. And that's pretty huge. And that's underlying everybody's life all the time. Greetings, friends. You're listening to the As Temperatures Rise podcast, a space of inquiry and listening, where we dialogue about what it means to be human in these complex and troubled times. I'm your host, Katie Teague, and that was the voice of today's guest, Salim Berryman. Salim is a friend and neighbor and an exemplar of a human being, with an emphasis on being. And I say that because Salim is a spiritual teacher for many. He has an elegant capacity to guide others in a simple and exquisite way back to the ground of being, capital B. And I think you'll get a taste of that in our conversation. It's a very beautiful episode that I'm excited to share with you. And we talk about death and dying, forgiveness, What does it mean to truly be happy? And at the end of the episode, he guides me in a little practice. And lastly, before we dive in, a shout out to Earth Altars once again for sponsoring this episode. And Earth Altars is the impermanent art co-created with nature by Laura Lesher. Mother Earth is magnificent, diverse, bountiful, generous, wild. And so is the art of Laura Lesher. So please do yourself a favor and visit the website www.earthaltars.com and sign up for her newsletter, follow her on Instagram or Facebook, and get your daily dose of earth medicine. Without further ado, let's dive in with Salim. Thank you, Salim, for joining me on the podcast this afternoon. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Well, thank you, Katie. I love, I love these kinds of conversations, so I'm all in. Awesome. I thought an interesting place to start would be to share with you. I actually haven't spoken with you about the origin of, of the podcast and, and the spirit behind it. And I think I'll springboard into my first question off of that framework. And I think it was middle of last year, 2019, that I started to get that feeling in my gut, you know, in my existential self that we're, we're on a trajectory of reckoning you know, as, as humanity on, on the planet. And that it felt like the 
complexity chicken was coming home to roost, if you will, in converging crises. And this was pre-COVID. And I felt, I've actually been feeling this way for 30 years. Really, I think my aha moment was studying natural resources as an undergrad. And I was in a geology class. And I remember this very vividly, my professor going through, we were describing all the minerals and everything was being described in its utility to us as humans. And I had yeah, a little bit of a mini awakening of, oh, natural resources. This is, this relationship, I mean, I got into that that realm of studying out of my love for the natural world. And I soon realized, oh, I'm not going to learn how to hear rocks speaking, communicating with me through, through classic education. And it was a bit of, of, yeah, just sensing an offness in our relationship where everything is a, you know, in its utility to us as, as humans. Fast forward 30 years. And I have nieces and nephews who are coming of age in this time and rapidly being assimilated into business as usual. And I really felt a sense of responsibility to use my skills and my passion in the world of filmmaking to help, you know, sensing that, okay, there's going to be more breakdown. We're on a trajectory of varying scales of breakdown and collapse. And for those who were caught in the cogs of the machine, if you will, I've just had concern, like how will they make sense of what's, what's going on? And so, yeah, that was really the purpose around As Temperatures Rise, the film. And the, the title was less around climate disruption, but just as, I mean, every, As Temperatures Rise would come to fruition with social uprisings in this year, right? Like there's there's inflammation on on the planet. And so as as that as an introduction, what would you say to a 17-year-old kid if they came and tapped you on the shoulder, "Hey Salim, this has been a crazy year." What's well, going on? It might depend on how much how much time I had with that 17-year-old ch- kid and what they would be open to talking about. So, you know, I would probably meet that 17-year-old kid in their own interests and, you know, just support them in what they're really, what they love and what they're here for and ask them questions about that. But if they were to ask me, you know, if they were actually interested at their age, I'd really encourage them to um, find out what it is, what's really important to them. Like, why are they here? And acknowledging that things are very uncertain. And, you know, it's like growing up fast. Where what might seem age inappropriate to tell a child, it's like, I don't think kids want to be fed illusions. Personally, but but to be met with what's really going on and to be treated at a certain point. So 17, they're young adults. And, you know, so I'd share with them my own uncertainties about our future. And yet my own belief 
that we can use whatever time we have really well, you know, really well, no matter what happens. That we can we can shoot for the best. I absolutely want to give them a sense of hope, not just like it's doom and gloom and there's no way through this. But at the same time, but there is hope, but it's hard. You know, it's like this is, there are hard times ahead of us. And maybe some people would see things differently than that. But from my point of view, like you, I've, I've been looking for, forward. I don't mean like oh, I'm looking forward to having a good time or whatever. I've been looking forward for many years to this time we're in now. And so for me, as, it's, as temperatures are rising and there's a lot of signs of that, in my system, it's like, ah, here it is. You know, I've been waiting for this for a long time and I've been preparing for it. And But a lot of people haven't been. And a young person might be just an awakening to the fact that what? My own future is uncertain. Um, but I was a young person at one point and I had my own sense of well, I'm going to be, I've got my retirement to look forward to. I've got all, you know, all these traditional things. For me, when I was 17, that was, that was not there. So when someone said, well, what are you going to do in, when you grow up and all that? I was just like, am I even going to grow up? It, you know, I could feel that uncertainty 40 years ago. And what it did for me was accelerated my, my questioning of what's most important. For me, like, what do I need to know if I'm living the last years of my life right now, what's most important? And so I feel like that's one of the things that the heat, you know, as temperatures rise within us, you know, it's like pressure and heat. It brings us to those deeper questions. And I don't think it's inappropriate for a young person to um, be confronted with that. So that's a big question. <laughs> it's, it's, a very, it's a deep, it's a deep question, and it's and it's a real question. And and then I guess I let me ask you, you know, where where are you? How are? What is your framework for understanding where we are, and how are you in your day to day, just navigating? the uncertainties and unpredictable futures. Well, in in many ways, my framework for where we are is it's pretty perennial because I feel like the, the issues that I work with, with myself, with, and with other people are, are timeless. And because what we're, we're dealing with is we appear to be, an individual that is temporal and mortal. And we have these issues of um, survival and death, uncertainty, that they're here no matter no matter what. Let's say there there was no climate change to deal with. Let's say the political system was just the way everyone wanted it. It was ideal. We still have illness. We still have death. We still have uncertainty. 
in some form because ultimately we can't prevent the fact that this life we're living is very temporary. And I don't think it matters how old we are at some point when our end has arrived, we're going to feel the same age most likely. We're going to feel like I'm just the age I am. I'm just me. And here I am being faced with the end of everything. And that's pretty huge. And that's underlying everybody's life all the time. And I think we do a better job of pretending that isn't the case um, when things are going well. And when things seem very challenging, I think the underlying collective fear we have of death gets more activated and gets more... um, yeah, and the opportunity with being confronted with death is it brings us to, well, well, if I'm going to die someday, then what is all this about? And does anything survive death? Is there something that doesn't just get chewed up in the, the meat grinder of this existence? Is there anything that, that endures? And so those are, those are the types of questions that I like to make explicit. And so where are we? I feel like we're confronting death. We're confronting uncertainty. We're confronting the the shadow material that we've kept in our our collective unconscious. It's coming up into our our collective conscious where we're becoming aware together of the conflicts that have always been there, but they're coming up really dramatically. And same thing happens in an individual life in a collective body. And I see it as a huge opportunity if we're willing to use it. So that was part of what I was exploring last year. Well, and certainly since, as you know, you know, my 18 year old nephew died two and a half years ago. And needless to say, that has set me on a, a path of rough initiation with with death uh, unexpected or right un- untimely quote unquote and yet it was his time obviously and I was reflecting last year just as more and more attention was coming to the climate movement I felt like it is bringing the specter of our death our mortality more into the collective sphere and that the degree to which we have become death phobic ironically we are creating more of a death machine just out of the sheer right, try- willfulness to ignore it um, through accumulation and more you know, taking from the earth and each other, trying to fill that void and assuage that existential fear. And you'll love this. I actually downloaded this app. If you don't know about it, it's called We Croak. <laughs> and we croak, and it, and it reminds you five times a day that you're going to die. <laughs> uh huh. It's kind of like the, um, yeah, Islamic, you know, five times to pray a day. It's like these five reminders, and then a little uh, quote or poem uh, notification. And uh, to your point, I do. I feel like it's 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 actually certain that we will die in the body. The uncertainty is when. So this creates a lot of 
anxiety. Yeah, and if we if we can kind of push death out into the future, into an illusory future, then we don't have to deal with the anxiety of just living in the raw fact that we could die at any point and that none of us are immune from getting cancer. None of us are immune from a sudden accident. We can't control ultimately um, when that might happen. And if we're to allow it to be close to us, to like for that idea of death to actually inhabit the space that's not far out in the future, but it's, it's an ever-present possibility. Initially, that's very anxiety-producing and perhaps even incapacitating for some people. But once that's really made friends with, it's actually the most peaceful um, friend. You know, it's, it's an ironically because when we actually directly experience death, we experience um, the emptiness, the non-existence, which is just this open space of awareness, consciousness. We're here without a body. We're here without all the reference points of our past, our future, our form. And, but there's still this space. There's still this awareness. And it's peace, peaceful, perfectly peaceful. And many people who have um, faced their own death in some form you know, or have died for periods of time and been resuscitated will report that it was often the most profound and peaceful experience of their lives or the deepest experience of love they've ever had, ironically. So like what we're terrified of can actually be the doorway into something that we deeply yearn for. Then, so I didn't. I didn't intend to talk about death, but it's 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 here. It's here, and it's it's not. It's never separate from for me. Deeper conversations of what what is all this? What's happening? Where are we? And I feel like that is one place where we always are. We're we're in this moment where we're we're embodied, and we're living as human beings very temporarily, very temporarily. If we think of the moment of climate change we're in, that's on the backdrop of a planetary existence that is uh, billions of years old. And we're talking about a moment in history where the climate has been, my understanding is it's been very stable temperature-wise, like it hasn't deviated beyond one degree Celsius for a very long time. And here we are at a moment where it's starting to change, it's starting to shift. That could be very terrifying thought, but for me, it's also a wondrous thought of like, wow, what a time to be alive. What a, what a moment to, to be here. And again, I'm speaking from it's wondrous because I'm living with death. I'm living with it as a friend. And I'm not taking my survival, my physical survival for granted. And I know it's temporary. And I'm, I'm at peace with that. I'm okay with that. Let me double click right here on what I feel like is the non-dual trap that I have 
absolutely fallen into. You know, in my late 20s, early 30s, I went on pretty aggressive, non-dual path determined, right, to realize the nature of of who I am, what this existence trip is all about, and realizing like the illusory nature of self or all as self. And while there was a true realization there, my bigger awakening was years later when I realized how much I had used that, that realization to actually not feel you know, like this excuse of like, well, you know, it's not real anyway. And oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, the body comes and goes. So WTF. Well, that's a good, you know, feels like a good segue into the conversation that we queued up as a a theme that we both resonate, which was forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And you know, like yourself, I, I really have a deep appreciation of of teachings that point to the, we could call it illusory in the sense that it's temporary, the temporariness of life, and also the illusory nature of our individuality, like our separateness, you know, separateness as illusion. But for me, the forgiveness has been such a core thread because basically to forgive means to feel, ultimately. Maybe it doesn't mean to feel, but it requires feeling. So if I'm truly going to forgive, um, if it's not just an idea, then what am I do- first I have to be aware of what am I doing that's other than open-hearted, kindness, uh, care, love, peace. What, what else is here? There's some unhappiness. And to be willing to feel that, to acknowledge that, and to take that all the way, all the way through. And that can be very painful. And so it's, um, I think at times, there is a preference for a, a non-dual teaching or a, a teaching that doesn't ask as much for it from you. You know, it doesn't ask you to be willing to have your heart be broken. You know, where, all right, well, the truth is right now, I'm just completely brokenhearted. And then it's like, wonderful. So are you willing to just be be with that and let yourself feel completely brokenhearted? And I'd say if, we, if we're willing for that, it's, it's life. It's, it's, this is, you know, I almost hesitate because I have... There's so much joy for me in real life. There's so much joy for me in all the things that are supposed to not be joyful. So talking about death, um, talking about grief, talking about unhappiness. But to me, there is, there's a joy in facing those things fully. Because I find if I'm willing to grieve fully when I'm when my heart feels like it's breaking, it's not suffering. It's, it's just grief. If I'm willing to feel my anger fully, it's, it doesn't have to be suffering. It's just, I'm in, I'm, I'm feeling really anger, really angry. And, and to me, that's part of forgiveness 
is being willing to feel whatever I'm feeling, honestly, simply, directly, without making it a chronic story and narrative, allowing myself, myself to learn what I can from what I'm feeling, but then it moves through if I'm willing to feel it fully. So this is such a... Now, I wanted to talk about forgiveness. You wanted to talk about forgiveness. And it's something to talk in depth, to really go in depth. It's much more than we can go into in a conversation. So, you know, if I start going into too much nuance, please let me know. But where I like to start with forgiveness is, is happiness. That feels like the beginning. And I feel like that's also very connected to where we are, like where we are as a collective. And I'd say where we are, a good measurement of where we are is how happy are we together as a collective? How, peace, how at peace are we as a populace? And it doesn't seem to me super peaceful and happy. And I think there's a lot of misunderstandings even about what happiness is in the, in the deeper sense of the word. And I like to start, you know, before talking about forgiveness, just talking about well, what if happiness and peace, it's a quality that describes what we are. Happiness is natural to us. And we have moments of unhappiness. We have moments of unhappiness, which is important, useful even, to help guide us back on track. It's like a, a corrective mechanism to show us, hmm, I'm unhappy about something. What, what is, what's going on there? To give it attention, to resolve that, and then we naturally return to happiness and peace. But it seems like in our culture, we're, we're taught that happiness is something we get by checking off certain boxes. And of course, many of those boxes have to do with products we buy or services we buy so it's conditional. Or status, or status we gain. Or status we gain, yes. But something. So it's something that we need. It, it's from the outside in rather than the inside out where happiness is just what's natural to us. And so it seems like rather than happiness and peace being our default together collectively, it seems more like fear and anger and a sense that my survival is being threatened by your point of view, which is different from mine. And I need everyone to believe what I believe or see things the way that I do so that I can feel secure and feel like we're going in a direction that makes sense to me. And then when we don't have that, we're we're really functioning at the level together on level of survival where our happy happiness and peace isn't even 
on the the menu. It's just survival. It's first dealing with this sense of threat that's present in our collect. You know, whether it's the global environmental change or just on the level of politics. But there's a sense of threat to our survival. And so to bring forgiveness into that, it's acknowledging, okay, if we're not at peace, if we're not happy, and that's our natural state, then, all right, what's the unhappiness? What is that? And it's, of course, different for everyone. But if, it, if it's judgments, angers, we deal with that. If it's we're, we're afraid, we feel anxious, okay, that's our truth. If it's we feel grief and sadness, all right, we have some grieving to do, some tears to shed. If it's we feel guilty and ashamed, okay, maybe there's some action too. Sometimes our emotions are like, there's some action that's it's saying here, there's something for you to do. And other times it's, it's something for us to acknowledge and learn, to feel. But either way, again, I I've, I've believe the unhappiness part is just as important as happiness. It's a, it's a guide. I, I did listen to your recording, one of them, on forgiveness, and I loved the metaphor that you used of, of the chess game and that those people who arrive in our lives to challenge us and one could say also those emotions that arise in our life to that challenge us are really it's an invitation right to play a more beautiful game and i would love to hear you riff on or share that again with this audience if if that feels genuine and uh, it was very useful for me well i don't know exactly um Right. What, what you listen to, but I know that is a, those are metaphors that I enjoy. But to me, the metaphor of a beautiful game, um, as it relates to the time we're living in, is if we could, since you mentioned chess, let's take a chess game. That if I'm playing chess with someone and they're enjoying it, I'm enjoying it, they're trying, I'm trying. The, the intent is to win, right? We're each playing because we want to win. We want to have our, you know, test our strategy, challenge our abilities to play the best we can and to win. We're not going to just throw the game and let them win. We're, we're playing to win. But at the same time, when we play a beautiful game, it's more about how we play than whether we win or not. So in a beautiful game, we both walk away from the game, no matter who wins, feeling a deep sense of satisfaction and enjoyment, both from the, the companionship, the time we got to spend together, being able to to exercise our abilities and give our full self to the effort. And we can just walk away no matter who won. 
feeling like, ah, that was a beautiful game. That was, that was wonderful. And I feel like if I was to apply that to the time we're living in, it's acknowledging like, okay, collectively, if we were to look like we're playing a chess game with um, the situation that we find ourselves in, maybe if that was our opponent, so to speak, then it's a very daunting, we're up against a very daunting opponent. And on the one hand, I want to win. I'd like to see that that there's a, a thriving, viable planet for both human beings, all species, that we could move through with the best trajectory possible for a sustainable future for humans, animals, plants, all, you know, the biosphere comes through this and heals and is thriving. That would be my aim on the level of the outer world, that we could do that together, but also the social systems, the everything that makes our way of being here, is it possible we can make a step to a new world, a new way of being together? It's uncertain whether we will or not. A beautiful game would be like, ah, it doesn't matter. You know, it's all, it's all empty. It's all a dream. So it doesn't really matter. So just do what you're doing and it'll happen or it won't. It's, to me, a beautiful game is like, it does matter. And it's okay. It's like either way, we, if we play a beautiful game, we can walk away from the board with, with deep love in our hearts. And without, without, a, without the, um, the residue that would be left if we don't leave this world fully blessed and leave ourselves and each other fully forgiven. And that's part of, you know, back to forgiveness. You know, if I say that's part for me, this may not be for everyone, but for me, forgiveness is a huge part of playing a beautiful game. It's a huge part because forgiveness is often used for those big events, issues with other people that leave us feeling some, you know, resentment or some unhappiness with with typically a one person or two people or a few people. But in the broader sense of the world, I mean, the broader sense of the word, I'd say that the the opportunity is forgiving everyone, everything, life itself, pretty much anything that we would be unhappy with, including the the situation we're in together as a as a species and as a collective and as a planet. And these are radical asks. I mean, these are this isn't small stuff. And this is the opposite of bypassing. So it's like, can we forgive death? Can we forgive people who have different views than us? 
Can we forgive ourselves? I mean, it's a huge ask. There's a lot waiting for us to invite, embrace, and learn to make peace with, if we're willing. So it's a big game. It's a brave game. But if we play that game well, then the outer game of playing our part here, whatever it might be, um, can be more and more beautiful. Because then it's not bypassing to say, it's okay. Like when I said earlier, like I'm, I live with the awareness of death, not as an enemy, but as a friend. I'm aware that I'm going to die. It doesn't mean when, if I was to find out I had cancer, I would be like, oh, cool, I've got cancer, or who cares? No, I would feel what I feel. I might feel afraid. I might feel grief. Um, but I'm ready for that. I'm ready to feel whatever I have to feel at any point. And that's what, that's what I'd love for everyone. Well, your definition of forgiveness, well, your definition of forgiveness is also opposite of the cliche that we have of for, forgive and forget. It, it's more like remember and feel and forgive. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'd say a more, more nuanced, a little more clear definition that's not so oversimplified would be... Um, one definition would be, what if forgiveness is the, the release of our unhappiness with? Our unhappiness with, whether it's a person, a thing, a situation, with life itself. And to back up unhappiness, a simple definition that I, I often use for unhappiness is what if unhappiness is a strategy to get what we want? Maybe not the best strategy, but it's one we've learned, it's one we've practiced, it's one we've taught each other, and it's one that we often just keep coming back to as a default. And by unhappiness, I'm not equating that with emotion. So I assume you've had, had experiences of, of grief that where you weren't, it wasn't necessarily unhappiness. Have you ever experienced that? Completely. Yeah, where it's, it, this is not unhappiness. This is, this is life. <laughs> and if anything else, and in, it's... And in fact, when I would remove my story around it, at the heart of it, there was a feeling of bliss, actually. Yes. Of, of just the capacity to feel at all. That's right. In, in, a, in its purest sense. Yep. And that, to me, that holds true with every emotion. And so there's a difference between feeling anger or sadness and being unhappy at the same time, we're either identified with the narrative or we're, we have judgments of the emotion we're feeling. 
And then there is unhappiness mixed with it. But if, oh, we're sad, and there's no resistance to feeling sadness, it's a very different experience. And so, ironically, I feel like part of being, living in peace and living in peace in the times we are with open-hearted, happy hearts in the times we are requires a willingness to feel quite a bit and to learn how to feel. And what I've noticed is most people have at least one category of emotion that seems to capture some pattern of unhappiness. And then it requires a little pulling the threads out of it so that the habit of how someone's related to an emotion, you know, category of emotion, whether it's anger, grief, fear, where it can take a little untraining, unlearning, so that it can just be sadness, grief. Welcome. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel. It's okay to feel heat and anger. And love and joy and happiness. Yeah, I feel like we're witnessing in in the collective almost the antithesis of this capacity that like the meme sphere just feels like it's filled with all of our unfelt feelings being spewed out. And and what's not what's not available even in debate you know debate that has the intention to be clean and clear that inevitably emotions are going to get touched and if there's not if there's not a conscious agreement and understanding of how when we feel emotions then it's almost like there's two different tracks Like to give you an example, let's say you and I were going to talk about something and we have different opinions about it. If I was feeling anger, you know, something you said brought anger in me and we're doing, you know, debate in a public style or whatever it might be, say I feel anger, that's going to, that's going to infect anything I have to say after that. But it's not, there's not really a permission on, our, on a collective level for me to say, Katie, could you, I just got triggered by what you said. And I'm, a, I'm aware right now that I'm feeling really angry. I'm feeling a lot of anger right now. And can you just be with me in quiet so I can just let myself feel this anger? 
you know, and I'm feeling the anger and then I'm just saying, oh, I notice you just reminded me of when my mother yelled at me <laughs> when I was like 12 years old. And that just triggered this memory. And then that all this anger came up. It has nothing to do with you. And I feel like I'm feeling threatened right now that my survival's on, on the line. Like your ideas feel dangerous to me. And I actually can feel fear now that I talk about this. So that would not fly in public discourse. That's a show of weakness. That's a, It's almost like you appear to be not intelligent. But yet that kind of that kind of thing is going on all the time. When people are talking with different opinions, they're not aware of these deeper, this deeper level of discourse. And imagine what a diff, we're not allowed to, I know, imagine if that was a public debate, like televised, modeled. Yeah, it would be a very different world. <laughs> be a game changer. Talk about a beautiful <laughs> be a game. Game changer, yeah. But we can do that in, you know, at least we can do that in intimate relationships. We can't, we can choose to have agreements with people that we can build trust with and love. And we can relate that way. And we can do that even in ourselves, even if there isn't the capacity in an interrelationship. Yes. Agreed. And that's really what I would say you know, true forgiveness would involve that. It involves a, a, late, a level of self-awareness, authenticity, where we get to just be honest with ourselves about what we're really feeling, what we're really thinking, with none of it being wrong. But also none of it being permanent, the permanent truth about who we are which makes it safe to just, oh, this is just what I'm thinking. It's just what I'm feeling. It's okay. It's human. Humans think all kinds of things. Humans feel all kinds of things. And I am defending this to the death because of... Right. It starts to fall apart. It does, <laughs> if we're willing to see it. If we're willing to see it. Yeah, when I listened to that recording, I don't know if you've heard of the book... In, uh, finite and Infinite Games by James Carse, who actually passed away a few months ago. So blessings to to his uh, his life's work. And when I was listening to, to yeah your articulation around a beautiful game, it felt like this paradigm shift, if you will, from playing the finite game, which is always win lose zero sum dominion over. Versus the infinite game, which is what it sounds like. It's it's that we are here to challenge each other to play a more beautiful game and what we can bring to the table. And I don't see a, a way forward, right? We're so stuck in the polarization of one over the other that then then learning to evolve not in spite of our differences but because of and through our differences which requires me to 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 see where i defend and can't can't hear your perspective 
which your perspective may have so much to offer me because I can't see everything. I'm human. I've only got my two sets of hands on the elephant, right? The parab It's a, the parable of the elephant. And am I going to kill you because I feel a trunk and I'm certain that this is just, this is a trunk that we're talking about here. And you're over there talking about a foot. Mm-hmm. It's another reason why I, I like the uh, metaphor of a game. Is too, there's many different type, many different games. You know, there's a lot of different games people play, if we had to use that metaphor. And I feel when we bring the game into what is our expression, what is our part of the elephant that we're, we're noticing, and what are we here to speak to, bring in, um, share with others, and get really interested about, it doesn't all, it, it's obviously doesn't have to be and isn't the same for everyone. You know, and so like forgiveness is a topic that's really endlessly juicy for me. As is death. As is, as you described, the infinite game or a beautiful game. But it isn't for everyone. You know, I understand that it isn't for everyone. But for those, so when you say you don't see a way forward, um, I'm curious what you mean by that. Because like in my part of the elephant that I'm working, um, I don't have that arise. Mm. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I appreciate the the offering that not everyone will see that way. Um, I think I I oft can lead with with my desire, which which is perhaps you know a sense that my perspective is the prev- should be the one that prevails. And yeah, this statement of I don't see a way through, I, I think what's true in that statement, without going into a, you know, a temporality around it, is, is a knowing that we need each other, that, that, we're, that we're relational beings. This is a direct experience. This is, this is something that I, that I can know. And it, I think the truer statement is, is, yeah, this pure, longing or what feels like part of my work while I'm here is to nourish, you know, this relational fabric of who we are. If that makes sense. Why wouldn't it? Absolutely. It's a confession. It's a confession of what moves you and what you love and what you enjoy doing. And it's beautiful. You know, and I, I appreciate our differences. And I don't mean just you and I, but all of us. Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be a pretty boring place if we we're all just, there was just one way to be and we all had to find out what it was. <laughs> it'd be very boring. It would be very boring. 
And I as well appreciate our differences. Yes, not just you and me. Um, and I'm taking it as part of my work, not projecting this onto everyone. Um, right. But I also tend to run in, in circles of very like-minded others. So the encounter with that, that so-called other um, is, is in ways insulated or safe. It's on a TV screen. Um, and, and maybe this would get us into the, into the realm of practice uh, because I'm taking it as part of my practice to really, I think, where you were leading us earlier. It's like, how do you work with people in, in their triggers, especially in such a heightened, polarized you know, ecology that we live in? right now where I certainly, I'm not immune to it. I get triggered. Yeah. For me, there's no requirement for anyone to be immune from it, myself included. There's no necessity for it. So that's one thing I'm assuming too, is that as long as I'm here, any of us are here, um, getting triggered, having things that upset us is part of the game. It's part of how we, we learn. And, uh, so you're asking like what, like a practice, like what's, so for the purposes of this, this call, it, you know, I'm going to focus on like what is really simple, you know, that doesn't re- require a lot of, um, let's say going into territory of feeling that's very difficult. In which case I think it, you know, back to your nurturing relational, um, the relational fibers and webs of we need each other. I'd say very often if people are in very difficult territory, then why not get help? Why not have a friend or a professional or whatever is required where someone can hold space and listen and hear, like be curious about your not just curious with the mind, but with the whole being and heart of just like, what is it like to be you? And where are you hurting? And tell me about it. And to, to actually listen to each other's pain, I think. And then to support, to support someone to find their way through, through the pain without invalidating their own wisdom. Like they know. It's like, there's some there's a natural wisdom inside each of us that knows how to move through that seems to happen naturally when we when we know we're being heard without any expectations without any demands without any time pressure um can you can you draw for yourself think of times where you're receiving unconditional attention just someone's attending to you, they're listening. And even when that attention seems to extend beyond your comfort zone, we're just like, my goodness, I'm being, I'm, someone's really listening. I mean, to me, it's like one of the most priceless gifts in the world to have that quality. It's profound to, to feel like, to know you're being loved. You're being seen with eyes of love is, it's, it's profound. More, more so than anything that's even said. Absolutely. That's right. It's just, it's that, 
knowing you're feeling me, you're with me, and you're not judging me. And I have the freedom to be who I am, just as I am, and to discover where I am and what's needed next. And it's, it's profound. And it doesn't really matter what that role is called. It could be a friend, a parent, a, you know, again, professional or not, it doesn't matter. So I just wanted to put that in before I talk about any practice, because practice to me, this, you know, we're talking about forgiveness that goes deep and wide. It's, it's a lifelong thing. It's not just I have, here's one thing to forgive and then I'm done. It's more, it's a way of being. And it's a way of becoming aware of just how unforgiving we are. And to realize we have a choice. You know, and first, the first turn of that choice is we have the choice to notice our upsets and to notice our judgments, to notice our unhappiness with, and all the, you know, all the different um, manifestations of that. And that in itself can be such fun once we full, we're fully on board and embrace that. Because the very things that we would judge, when we, we learn that it's normal and it's okay and it's just what we're feeling, it can be very liberating to just tell the truth about what we're believing or what we're thinking or what we're feeling. As an example that I think is pretty stereotypical, you know, I think it generalizes to many minds, which is this, the, the belief that we're right. You know, so if we're, we're unhappy with someone, you know, let's just say a different, someone who's has a very different point of view politically. And then there's a judge, there's some unhappiness with them. Maybe it's anger. Maybe there's also fear, but we're less aware of that. Maybe we're aware, let's just say we're aware of the anger. And if we're unpacking that as a practice, then it can be like, okay, I notice I'm, ang- I'm unhappy with them. It's got the flavor of anger. There's some judgment there. I'm aware of the desire for them to just change and and understand what they're doing and really get that what they're doing is wrong and what they're thinking is wrong. And I want them to think the way that I do. And I'm feeling superior to them. And I'm feeling like, yeah, I know. I know best. Just saying that and, and outing ourselves of what we're doing can feel very liberating. And at the same time, when we see the whole mind of what we're doing internally, there's a level of freedom from it that allows us to not be so identified with our own point of view. But since we become more like this open-heartedness that we spoke of earlier of being able to offer another person or to receive from another person where they're just without any judgment, they're just attending to us, they're listening, that we might find suddenly we're in the position where we're able to hold both our own reactivity, this other person we've been judging and unhappy with, and suddenly they're both inside of this loving witnessing. And what I find, if we keep, if we go all the way with it, our unhappiness 
it's it doesn't endure it doesn't endure it's like what endures is the, is the peace the love the happiness that's what's that's the rock and the un, the upsets are just these temporary waves that will move through if we skillfully attend to them so i would love to offer one simple practice in that context which i i call the unhappiness question so if we can lightly hold a definition of unhappiness not emotion unhappiness as a strategy to get something we want and without judging that as wrong but just normal that's just normal no problem then let's say we're unhappy with something that's clearly out of our our circle of influence it's not something we can take action on and correct like if you're unhappy because you're cold you know it's like okay i'm irritated i'm unhappy is there something i can do here yeah i could put some more clothes on or turn up the heat but let's say we're we're unhappy of the state of affairs in the world on a way that we don't have much influence over so a way we can get to this strategy of like this is a, what if it's a strategy to get something we want is to acknowledge that it ha- our unhappiness has a positive intention we're trying to get something we're trying to get something and we can ask the the question we can ask is do we need do we need to be unhappy with whatever it might be let's say do i need to be unhappy with the rising temperature of the biosphere in order for the biosphere to come to a harmonious balance that's optimal for life do i need to be unhappy with the rising temperature in order to help what's optimal to come into place do i need to be unhappy with the ache in my knee in order to feel better there's so many reasons that unhappiness can get triggered and when we start to assume that we're unhappy for a good reason and we can just check out is it necessary right now is it necessary if it is no problem if it's clear like yeah my unhappiness is helping the world right now i'm helping the world <laughs> by being really unhappy right now if you really believe that then great then how does it feel to help the world through unhappiness probably pretty good <laughs> you know it's like great that's your beautiful game you know yeah exactly but very often very often we can notice it's like hmm, it's not really necessary it's not really helping and if that, if that's the case is it possible to be helpful to move 
towards what we what we're wanting here whatever it is we say we want through being un, unhappy is it possible to move forward to that without being unhappy about it can i be effective and peaceful can i be happy and still play whatever role i'm here to play and offer the gifts that i'm here to offer is that possible So it's a simple question. It might take a little playing with to kind of get the knack of it. But it's it's uh, very powerful. It's a powerful inquiry. And I know, hearkening back to the beginnings of my spiritual journey, I mean, more formal, if you will, uh, there were, you know, I believed that, oh, that awakening enlightenment, whatever, means that I won't be triggered. (laughs) I can laugh. Now, seeing it more as a path of maturation, and that this path of inquiry, it's really what it's building more range of motion, more more capacity to, to respond as people, you know, as I hear in, in some circle, you know, to be response-able, able to respond. But it starts often from reactivity and seeing the reactivity, the habituated. So do, do you have time to apply this question yourself for a moment? I do. Just so that we can you know, experientially demonstrate that what I just said made any sense. Yes. And I think I've been intuitively doing my own version of it these last couple of weeks in the field of the election. And I've had moments of experiencing depression um, you know, feeling feeling down, depressed, and did you say deep rest? Deep pressed. <laughs> oh, deep pressed. It sounded like Ooh, deep, deep rest. Deep rest. No, it's a that's a good play, right? Deep mm. rest. Maybe that's the shift from. <laughs> uh, but even now, like. I can I can feel that energy of depression and it's just a phenomenon. It's not it it's when I my story around it when I tell the story um I can't remember how you just asked the question. Well, how about I ask it to you? So again, uh, yeah. emotional states Emotional states themselves are not the unhappiness. So I just want to reiterate that. So feeling something like depressed mm-hmm. is just, like you said, just it's phenomena. It's normal. It's natural. Mm-hmm. So the question here would be, do I need to be unhappy with feeling depressed in order to, and maybe there's a, a, a state that's preferred by your mind, Yes. So do I need to be unhappy with depressed 
in order to, and what whatever that state might be. And in fact, the belief that I need to be unhappy <laughs> further disables me from fulfilling whatever it is I think I'm supposed to be fulfilling. So is it possible that you you do not need to be unhappy with feeling depressed? It's possible. Yeah, so if it's possible. So what would it be like if you you weren't unhappy at all with feeling depressed? Then I can actually experience deep rest. Yeah. I don't have the weight of the story, the weight of, of yeah, kind of the shackles of all that I'm telling myself around feeling depressed. Right. And we're, then we're, we're blessing, you know, it's like, to me, the resolution of forgiveness is is like blessing. We're we're able to bless what is rather than be unhappy with it. That's beautiful. And so I've turned off all notifications on my phone. The only notification I get anymore is the reminder from We Crook. <laughs> and it says, it says, it went off a few minutes ago. It says, don't forget, you're going to die. <laughs> I'm going to open it for the quote, and maybe this will close our session. Uh, open, let's see what the quote is from Greta Thunberg. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are at the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? So in, in the face of, of, of all the converging everything right now, I can't think of a conversation I'd rather have than about yes. death and forgiveness. Yes. So if I could just pull that together with what we just shared, I would say that happiness, if we start with happiness is our our natural condition, but happiness, it's unconditional. It includes emotions. It doesn't mean the absence of feeling. It doesn't mean the absence of emotion. And so to experience like what she was pointing out in that quote, the people are dying, whole ecosystems are collapsing. For us to be aware, let ourselves be aware of that and to feel what we actually feel. To feel what we actually feel without suppressing that. But at the same time, do we need to be unhappy with our fear, with our grief, with our anger, whatever we might be feeling as we confront that? Do we need to be unhappy with that in order to whatever, to manage, to be in control, to be happy or whatever? Or is it possible we don't? It's possible we don't have to be unhappy with how we feel 
about the state of the world. And there's a huge paradox that opens up, which is when we are a full yes to everything we feel about the state of the world, then we're transparent to a deep happiness, a deep contentment that includes everything just the way it is. And our actions are liberated. Yes. Liberated from expectations or the need for it to turn out in a certain way. And when we're, when we're in peace, we're at peace. When we're happy in the deepest sense of the word, we're much more in touch and in contact and informed by the whole and what really is appropriate moment to moment to move through us than when we're in stress and fear and survival mode. So it's, it may actually be a, uh, a boon to our survival to come out of our unhappiness with things the way they are. And again, I'm going to say it one more time because it's so easy to miss, which is unhappiness, happiness with life does not mean the absence of emotion. But it's the willingness to actually feel whatever we're feeling. I think that's the biggest biggest myth buster, especially in our cult of happiness in this in this culture, that happiness somehow means the absence of the so-called negative emotions specifically. And if some people that's their game to broadcast that message. I, I can respect that, and maybe for all I know, that's true for them. But in my experience, I, I've proven to myself a thousand times, I can feel anything, and there's something deeper than all of that that can welcome it all in a very deep contentment. And I feel enriched by my capacity to feel, not diminished by it. For me, it's the key to play, playing a beautiful game. That's well, certainly included for me. Thank you, Salim. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. Be well. I look forward to seeing you again. Likewise, my friend. I'll see you on the chessboard. And that concludes the beautiful episode with Salim. I really hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, my friends, go out and play a more beautiful game.